Hello and welcome to another episode of the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host Tom. Hello. And uh, we're back with some Volker Schlondorf, mm. our, uh, our second episode of the week. Yeah, our quarantine special. Quarantine specials. Uh, get them while they're hot. <laughs> um... Yeah, so we're going to try and, as we said in the last episode, pump out a few more episodes each week just to kind of give people who are stuck at home and just kind of self-isolating and things, um, social distancing and the like, <laughs> Yeah, some, uh, some more content. So we're back with The Tin Drum from 1979. Based off a book of the same name. Have you read the book? No. Yeah, nope. neither. Um, classic German novel by, uh, what's his name? Uh, Gunther Grass. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's that's it. Um, we haven't read it, so let's talk about the film. No, apparently, though, it is, like, a massively thick book, like an epic tome. Um, looking up now, 576 pages, and apparently, like, this big, huge, epic thing, and he'd actually written a trilogy uh, called the Danzig Trilogy, and it's all kind of set around this town and stuff, and, you know, the World War II stuff, um, and this is kind of... I think the middle of the, that trilogy, and it's the most kind of epic and famous and controversial, I guess. Yeah, I get the sense that it's the kind of thing you'd, you'd study in English class at school and all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, or at least at a university level, probably. Okay. Mm. Uh, plot synopsis. Let's read the back of the DVD. Danzig, 1924. Oscar Martezaf. I've had such the hardest time pronoun- like learning to pronounce that name. Oscar. Matzerath. There we go. <laughs> Let's start this all over again. Danzig, 1924. Oscar Matzerath is born with an, an intellect beyond his infancy. As he witnesses the hypocrisy of adulthood and the irresponsibility of society, Oscar rejects both and on his third birthday refuses to grow. Caught in a baffling state of perpetual childhood, Oscar lashes out at all he surveys with piercing screams and frantic pounding on his tin drum while the unheeded, chaotic world marches onwards into the madness and folly of World War II. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I got the... I've never seen the film. You've seen it um, previously. I believe I, I watched the Blu-ray version, which is 20 minutes longer. Yeah, and the I... director's cut. And I watched... I've got the uh, the original Criterion DVD mm-hmm. that I watched it, which uh, it turns out is 20 minutes shorter. You, yeah, you got to watch the director's cut. Okay. Um, so I, I got a strong impression that uh, it's kind of reminiscent of the Jean-Pierre Jeunet films, like Amelie and all that sort of stuff, because it's got that, it's set in a real real world situation, very real. Yep. Uh, but it has those magical, fantastical elements to it. There's some bizarre hyper-realism and insane creativity and things happening. Yeah. yeah. Even the, the birth of Oscar. That's, was, that's the first thing that comes to my mind as well. All, all these spinning cameras and extreme close-ups and moving into faces. Not just that, but the whole birth sequence in general is kind of... Like, it's so off-putting initially because you're like, what the fuck is, like... Is that an animatronic? Is it a puppet? Is it actually the real actor? Like, yeah. I think inside it's, it's the... Real actor with some, yeah. with some makeup on and some prosthetics and all that. Yeah, right? yeah. And then we have the POV coming out of... Through the birth canal and stuff. And... Yeah. You know, with blood like smeared and the viscous smeared on the lens is like yeah, it's, it's like Sam Raimi, yeah, Jackson sort of stuff. Kinda right, yeah. Uh, but in any case, yeah, I got that the strong impression that it's very much the Jean Pierre Jeunet film, um, and I wonder if he kind of looked at this 
kind of movie and said, yes, I'll pluck from that and this and that. That style is marvellous. Yeah, especially early Jeunet stuff like Delicatessen and yeah, City yeah. of Lost Children and stuff. Like, before, like less so the Amelie. Amelie is yeah, kind more, of more whimsical. But... More Delicatessen. But even, yeah. even then the film shares that... Uh, that sense of fantasy and, and um, separate from reality, even though you, you're treating this place as a real, real place. Mm. Um, but in any case, you know, ten minutes in, I was very engaged. I liked this movie a lot. Yeah, I, I figured that's why. Like, I think on the last episode, I said like I'm, I'm very intrigued because I think you're going to dig this one because of its weirdness and creativity. And I, I rewatching it again for this episode. The the opening scene where it's like the potato patch, and then like his grandmother hiding his grandfather like under a skirt and him, like essentially having sex with her Act- while on the run from actually having sex yeah yeah, yeah. it, it, it <laughs> was such a weird bizarre way to open it and you're like what tone are we striking here oh, it, was, it was it was like monty python yeah like, the way that he i mean it's all sped up i think yeah i think is that supposed to a lot of the intro um pre pre 19th century i think yeah 20th century i think it's that like that like racked up speed like to kind of give it that old style look of like old original film from like the 1900s and things from that era yeah 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 but in any case it's uh which is a nice little yeah just attach onto and then you have the uh morigiare music that has like the weird like stuff happening in there and (laughs) yeah it it reminded me of all the monty python sketches it's odd Mm. the idea that you're gonna have a character just really kind of zip zoom across from like far off in the distance. And it's like the wide shot, and then like the two guys like chasing with the guy. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, for the, for the the film that it later became, it's a strange tone to set. Yeah, it it and that's the thing I kind of wanted to go into a lot is like the the shift of like is this a comedy? Is it a drama? Is it a war film? Where do you actually classify this type of film? Uh. I think it's difficult. It does shift on uh, tones. Yeah, oh, totally. Drastically. Yeah. Um, it, it is, I think by saying that, it's, it's one of those films that is kind of hard to define and pinpoint into one specific type of genre, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it certainly starts off with a more comedic tone, but then later on it kind of evolves into something that's way more dramatic. Yeah. I would, I think like the turning point is probably the fish, uh, the horse head with the heels. Yeah, <laughs> she gets real right about there. <laughs> yeah, that's about a third of the way through, I think. Yeah, and I mean that's that's basically when people start dying. Yeah, so it's it's really shifting from from comedy to, to something that's quite dark. Yeah, and I guess the it's it's trying to make its point and have its commentary with all of that stuff as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, like initial, like I'm intrigued. Your initial thoughts, like were you, because it is a bizarre setup. I I don't know. Had I mentioned to you what it was about, roughly at all? Or? Well, I, well, I mean, the, the previous episode at the end, you were giving me a bit of a taste, and it was you know, a three year old that decides to stop growing. Yeah. Um, I had I had heard of the film. Yep. And a kind of long time ago. And yeah. I, and I think it was. For whatever reason, someone had attached Nazism to it, which obviously is fitting because mm-hmm. it's a thing. Um, and so I'd, I'd never bothered watching it because I was thinking, well, if it's about Nazis, I'm probably going to have to be in the right frame of mind. Yeah. Um, and I just never got around. The, like it, it's like it's like watching it's like deciding to watch Grave of the Fireflies. Yeah. Uh, you don't 
You don't do that every day. Mm. Oh, I mean, shit, like, I just watched uh, Come and See for the first time the other, like, last week, and that fucked me up royally. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. You've got to be in a specific mood to to watch a World War II Nazi film, I guess. Unless yeah. it's something like Inglorious Bastards or, you know. So you said to me that it... Um, I asked I asked last episode, is it full on? And you said, no, no, no. Was, was it? it was a little bit full on. It does. Like, it, it has that stuff for sure. Like, it is one of those films where I forgot... Because I hadn't seen it for quite a long time. Like, actually, I think I first saw this film back on VHS, like, um, around probably around 2004, 2005, when I first kind of went into film school. I was like, this film won, you know, heaps of awards and it's like really well regarded and it's in just come out in Criterion. I'm going to try and track it down and watched it on like an old VHS from a video store um, and like blew my mind. (laughs) And then. I think I've seen it once before, but this is like my third viewing and I, you forget it has such key strong moments that are like burned it, that we burned into your brain forever. Like the birth scene, like, you know, like the parade, the parade and stuff like, you know, it's these strong moments. And then you kind of less so in the back third, I would say when it gets into real world war two stuff, it like, well, not even the back third, like kind of that middle chunk really like with the post office siege, I guess that's like, yeah, it's not as lasting, I guess. It's not as bizarre. He kind of... His filmic style kind of flattens out, being like, we're dealing with some serious stuff here, so we're going to be less crazy with it. Yeah, that's right. We're, we're not going to have little people dressed in suits dancing on a bunker yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, everything up until the point of when Oscar was screaming to inscribe a heart around the glass, yeah. which is which is beyond... Uh, the point in the film you're talking about, beyond the Danzig first... Yeah, first no, that, that, that's shipping us into the back third of the film. Yeah. Like, yeah. Prior to that, there's really... Anything that's happening um, sometimes is played off as a, as a kind of... Almost like a fairy tale. Because mm. uh, it's essentially through the eyes of a perpetual three-year-old. Yeah. But it's also... You can also ground it in reality if you wanted to. You could twist it. So it's, it's, it's stuff like... It's stuff like the mum becoming obsessed with eating fish. Yeah, until she... Which is, like, something you would find in a fairy tale, right? And then she ends up, like, dying because, of, I guess, mercury poisoning? <laughs> yeah, it'd be some, uh, yeah, some kind of disease. They don't really go into it, but... Um, but then she was she was pregnant, and so she had a craving for fish. Mm. So it becomes... What was a fairy tale element became something that's way more grounded in reality it's i don't i don't know though if it is like the the whole craving that led to her to do that or if it was a self-imposed it was i think it was also a because of the argument with um what's his name the um one of the possible fathers of oscar (laughs) um the german well his 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 well his her husband yeah um i can't yeah i can't remember his name i'm gonna yeah i have to pull it up i blank on it because i know jan is the he's the cousin he's the uncle who's who's actually Alf- Alfred okay um yeah because of that whole scene with the eels where it's like forcing her to eat and she's it's almost a defiance of like you want me to fucking eat fish I'll yeah. fucking eat fish I think eating eating the fish was a yeah it was it was it's you the, could you could take it as a, a a pregnancy craving that led to the, the her death but you could also take it as a response to a traumatic event that was this horse head oozing eels but I think that's also just tied up in her in, problems with I'm married to a man that I'm not not too not in love with yeah. and I'd rather be somewhere else. And, and then it also ties into the whole state of 
Germany at that point yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, it's, yeah, a horse heads viewing eels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, That's why the, the film is so worthy of, of um, deep analysis and, and full-on essays because the symbols yeah. that are going on can mean multiple things at once. And um, even, I mean, even the, the tin drum is... I was trying to figure out what what does this tin drum mean? And the film's called The Tin Drum. Yeah. Obviously, Oscar is obsessed with the tin drum, even to the point where when he's comes out of uh, the womb... He's screaming he's, and he's crying. Going, I, I'd like to go back in there, but that tin drum looks awfully cool and I and I can't wait for that when I'm three years of age. I, I've been promised a tin drum when I turn three and I'm, I'm going to get to that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the only thing that makes him want to live, yeah. even at the age of zero. Um. So actually, let, let's talk about the Tim drum because I I was struggling to to put it together. Yeah. Um, what's the significance of this drum? It doesn't really become clear um, till much later in the film, and even then, you can kind of associate whatever you really want to it. But I think maybe the the turning point for me trying to figure out what the drum meant was the parade, uh, which is one of the highlights of the film in which there's a military parade that's championing Nazism and nationalism and whatnot. Yep. It's right... I think it's at 31, 32. Like, it's right around... Like, they say the date. It's, like, September 1st, 1931. It's, like, a very famous, like, leading into mm-hmm. the full march of the Nazi party. Yeah, and they have the military band there, and um, Oscar's intrigued by that and wants to, to join in, and so he starts playing this drum, and it's... It's kind of combating the military band. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's almost like a protest, I suppose. The, the drum itself is the symbol for, for the protest, protesting what's happening um, in that time. And I think what is... Is it modern-day Poland now? But it was... Germany? Yeah, it was, like a, it was like a... It's a real iffy one that I'm not... I don't I'm know not, I'm much. not too good on my history, so... But it was something... It was a region in Poland that had been claimed as... German for a while and so it was like a big thing for Germany to get it back mm-hmm. and that's the whole issue with um, Cousin Jan was because of the type of uh, citizen he was of that region he was technically considered a German which was like why all of the stuff I think they call it like a Kublich or something like not bad. that's a dumb made up word I've just said <laughs> but it's like they, they keep referring it's not a dumb it's, it's from a other comedy podcast that's a weird Russian character called Kubich. <laughs> Any Pistol Shrimps radio fans out there? <laughs> um, but it's, um, yeah, it's like they, they ref- keep referring to him and like the grandmother and stuff as these type of citizens that were considered German citizens, so that's why it was the whole stink around him siding with Poland. Yeah. Because he's like, well, no, I identify as a Polish person because I'm living in Poland, like, mm. despite what this other thing says but anyway that's a kind of diversion <laughs> but back to, it, back to the drum yeah so um so yeah in the in the, the parade it kind of breaks down from what is primarily a military parade into just a waltz and then the rain comes and it just kind of completely breaks up and destroys the whole event and yeah it seems like oscar's choice to disrupt it's almost like anarchic um disrupt the whole event is uh also it also occurs Earlier on in the film, when he decides to, hey, I'm, I'm sick. I, I see the hypocrisy in, in adults, and I'm going to decide to not grow up. It's the first time he plays the drum. Actually, I think he got the drum that day for his third birthday, and yeah, he decides, you know what, a little bit of drumming. I've got all I'm I'm gonna I'm, fucking, I've got all I want out of life. I'm going to stop here. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, he doesn't want to enter in on what's going to happen. He sees yeah. he sees what's going to happen and decides, you know what, it's not for me. Mm. And then it's like, you could even go as broad with the parade stuff as like what he's doing is he's essentially marching to the beat of his own drum, literally. And then by kind of forcing that in and, dis- and using that to disrupt the largest game, like the larger band that's playing, like the societal band of what's happening there, um, he's able to disrupt that and kind of force people to not go along with that essentially <laughs> it's and most of the time when he's using the drum it's to drown out any other noise yeah i mean and, and also on top of that he's got his own his screams his screaming um, <laughs> which is also anarchic and you know he uses that to disrupt all sorts of things which is used totally to do nothing but destroy yeah. or like create chaos and havoc and yeah <laughs> yeah which which i mean i get that as a, a symbol i mean obviously Obviously, you're going like, "Hey, this is this is a kid that's protesting what's what's going on out there." Um, but he does somewhat come off as kind of belligerent. Oh yeah, he's a little shit. he's a little shit. Yeah, he's like I, I think I told you like I was rewatching I rewatched the Criterion Three Reasons video uh, for this film, and the first one is the little monster. <laughs> like the Criterion flat out refers to him as a fucking monster, yeah. and it's true. It's he he beats his drum and he screams only like when things don't go the way he wants and he's belligerent and just does it to get his way he's yeah. he's a little shit <laughs> well so i read uh the roger ebert review and he he did two out of four stars from yeah the well i've actually like... got that up if if you want me to read it now yeah, yeah, go, go. um yeah so ebert as tom said uh two out of four stars writing i must confess that the symbolism of the drum failed to involve me. Uh, And here is the central problem of the movie. Should I, as a member of the audience, decide to take the drum as, say, a child's toy, protest against the marching uh, cadences of the German armies, or should I myself be annoyed by the child's obnoxious habit of banging it whenever something is not to his liking? Even if I buy the wretched drum as a moral symbol, I'm stuck with the kid as a pious little bastard. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's like a punk mentality yeah which is which is fine to me i don't i don't actually have a problem it seems the level that ebert did Mm. because you know he's saying even if he does attach the the symbolism that he doesn't connect with you know the other side of that coin essentially but but, but, i mean to put it more broadly um i'm i'm sure that many people that were adults felt like kids in that situation Mm. and what more could they do but but scream and shout i mean most people were helpless so it's so it's not just a kid you know being a little bitch yeah it's it's somebody <laughs> reacting the only way they can yeah trying to cope and by scream and be noticed and make and have something have you know there kind of. so yeah, i get why he would say i get why ebert would say you know he's an obnoxious little shit sometimes but at the same time because he for sure I, is <laughs> at the same time it's like I, I would be too, man, if I was living in yeah there in that time. But that's the thing, like he, like as we've said, he's undoubtedly a little shit. But there, it's whether or not you have a problem of that. Like I can happily watch this film and be like, that kid sucks, but not <laughs> not have an issue with it. Like there are a lot of annoying characters in movies throughout the years, but it and the but it it works for this narrative so well, I think. But but he willfully stopped growing yeah exactly I mean, it, even then it's it, it sounds like a fairy tale thing yeah he wished upon a star and stopped growing um and then the film 
you could, I mean, the film presents it in that kind of way with the narration. Yeah. But and you it, can also twist it into a reality of going, like, they had a spinal injury or whatever, or he was destined to be a dwarf anyway. No, but then at the end of the film, he decides to start growing again. Yeah, okay. So it kind of... It is. It is. Blurs, I, yeah. I think you of... drawing the parallel of like a Jean-Pierre Jeunet kind of fairy tale type film. I think that is absolutely perfect for this. It is. It's using this magical realism as a vessel for us, the audience, to examine, you know, the Polish invasion in World War Two, the outset of the German invasion. It's a common device. I mean, most there's a lot. I mean, life is beautiful. Yeah. How are you going to? talk about what happened in all the camps without pretending it's While a game. While being the most saccharine <laughs> film ever. Like, that that's fine. Like, I, I thoroughly enjoy that film. But it is yeah. overly sweet and sentimental. Sure. But but the, the device is that it's like a, it's like a comedian doing, yeah. doing a spiel on some deep philosophical yeah. moral conundrums. I'm going to get you to think about really hardcore stuff yeah. by making jokes. And so you can... There's an avenue into that kind of thought process by dressing it up yeah. as either, you know, a, a kind of a dramatic comedy like Life is Beautiful or in this case, magical, um, realistic Realism, yeah. drama thing. Yeah, I think this film does, like what Schlondorf does so brilliantly in this is he sets up the magical realism and the insaneness of a protagonist being a three-year-old boy who can break glass with his screams and, you know, perpetually like little kid forever. And then totally shift into like, yeah, that's insane, but we're going to be using that as our through line and then get into really fucked up, heavy, dark stuff. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing is he could have so easily, Oscar could have just stayed a perpetual three-year-old and had that infant mind or, you know, infant mentality constant. But as the film progresses, he progresses into adulthood yeah. but still trapped in the body of a three-year-old i think he's 21 by the end yeah of, and of he film. matures and he grows as a character and i i would say it's around the time of um uh marie coming into the picture the um kind of carer in the house that he ends up having falling in love with and things when he's about 16 essentially like he well, yeah they're both 16 when she arrives yeah but he's trapped in the body of a three-year-old and yeah but but by that point like i don't find oscar annoying or frustrating anymore i've no. like it, it we would be on that now well because he's reacting not like a kid to many things he's reacting more like an adult yeah um i mean his his it's it's really interesting the casting here because yeah the actor, uh, what's his name? Uh, David Bennett. David Bennett, he has he has such an interesting face. He's he looks like a child, but at the same time, I think he was eleven at the age of filming. Yeah, uh, he has a condition which causes him to grow very slowly. Um, so he was eleven years old in the film, and he was one point one four meters tall, so three three foot nine inches. Uh, and because of his disease, he um, continued to grow even into his 30s. Like, it was just a kind of protracted growth stage. Okay. And so that's why, like, you, there's, like, the scene where they're in, like, the at the beach and stuff, and he kind of has this weird, like, the arms are kind of wanting to develop. Like, you know, the musculature is off. Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a, a miniature, yeah, a miniature 16-year-old, mm. if you discount the, the face. Yeah, it's super uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe not, but in any case... Um, his facial features are both at the same time very childlike, but 
but also very weathered. Yeah. I mean, I think it's he's got like a slight droop in one of his eyes and, and the way that he holds his, his jawline and mouth and stuff, it's just like phenomenal choice, I think, because you believe him as a three-year-old, you believe him as a six-year-old, and you even believe him as a, a twelve-year-old, a twenty-one-year-old. Yeah, yeah. Even though he hasn't changed his looks, it's just it's just all there, kind of inherently. Um, Not just that, but in his performance as well. Like yeah, yeah. you, you believe the life of this character he's putting on screen. Like he nails it. Like yeah, and by the end, like having you know his relationship with um, uh, God, the um, the Italian little person who's in the circus and stuff with them um rosalita i want to know why am i blanking on rosalita rosalita thank you yeah 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 like, like her little love interest his little love interest um, later on in the film yeah he joins a um a, well a circus troupe of of little people yeah which is i guess his way of ex- escaping like persecution i guess and like well, what is actually happening and to kind of blind himself from the war is be somewhat complicit in it by well they're doing the same thing they right from the outset they say we if we get up and perform on stage they're not on stage looking down on us and yes persecuting us which is the wonderful little scene when he first goes to the circus and meets um the 50 year old who decided to stop growing when he was 10 (laughs) yeah it's those characters are really really lovely um they all see the hypocrisy too and they've made the same choice but they've learned to live in the society given that they don't grow up anymore. Yeah, which is essentially the arc that Oscar goes on throughout the film is after seeing, you know, living through kind of essentially like the worst that man can do, like well, seeing the horrors of World War Two, he has made the decision of like, all right, I'm okay with this now and I'm now going to make the decision to start growing again and become a member of the society, I guess. Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh... Yeah, well, the, I'll, I'll talk about that at the end of the podcast because yeah. that's, that's that's one of the major themes. But um, I also I was kind of intrigued when the toy maker who you know, makes the tin drums for Oscar, mm-hmm. uh, you meet up with him in the film, and he mentions he calls him a little the little prince. Have you ever read that book, mm-hmm. The Little Prince? Not for a while, but yeah, no. okay. So that's, I, I, I was kind of, it picked my interest. I, I recently read it. It's a French French book written, I think, like the 40, late 40s or yeah, something like Yeah, that. very famous book, yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of the most famous like books ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that shares a lot of similarities with this story thematically. Doom, 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 to turn the page. Yeah, I mean, that book starts off with a, a young boy, the narrator, explaining that the nature of, of grown-ups is they, they have a complete inability to focus on what's important. So um, I like the idea that... I, I've, I'd, I'd be curious to, to know whether that connection is in the books as well. I don't know when the books were, when the books were written, so it might be prior. The, the Tindrum ones? Or, yeah. Uh, not too sure, yeah. Probably after And, and I, I don't even know if Oscar is a character in the other... I think it's like a loose trilogy of like set in this town, I guess. Like it's not necessarily the same characters across. Okay. Uh, in any case, um, 
don't know. I just wanted to mention The Little Prince because it's a great book. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you've never read it. If you've never read it, you should totally read it. Yep. Uh, it's <laughs> magical. Very lovely. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. Um, you know, there's like a, a realism in it that's also construed through fantasy. Mm. Uh, less Nazis, though. <laughs> Substantially. Considerably. Um, but yeah, it's... I don't know. I think what why I like this film, and it's... It's an odd one to say that you really like because, like, I was sitting out on the couch last night watching it, and Claire was sitting on the couch playing Animal Crossing next to me on the Switch, and just like would periodically look up and be just kind of shocked and horrified about what was on screen. Mm-hmm. And then she would look over to me, and I've got like a, almost a smile on my face because I've taken that narrative journey. Like, it's the stuff like. You know the horse head with the eels, and it's like the symbolism and what and what that is saying. It's a very graphic and horrific and upsetting image, but what that's saying in the global scheme, like the grander scheme of the film, is so great how he's conveyed that across. And then also, like you know, you then get later to, into the sexual stuff between Marie and. Oscar and yes. Claire was not having any of that yeah. because she did not have the. I'm like trying to explain to her like, no, they're both 16. <laughs> like it makes yeah. sense, but yeah, we got to talk about child pornography now. Yeah, <laughs> good segue. If, if we're, yeah, we're already we're talking about Nazis, talking about child pornography. Yep, this um, thing's gonna get flagged. For, this episode's flagged for sure. Yeah, it's expensive. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was doing research and. Uh, this film was was flagged for child pornography in um, uh, Ontario, Canada. Yep. For uh, child pornography in Oklahoma in the US. Uh, it was also banned in Ireland until 1981. Okay. And uh, received an X rating in the UK, uh, R rating here in Australia. Um, yeah. So they, these sequences are... They're referring to the sequences between Oscar and Marie entertaining a kind of virgining love yeah and it's kind of it's a it's very childlike in a way but also it equates to much more adult themes yeah the pop rocks in the uh, pop rocks or pop candy i don't know what everybody it's like sherbet some kind of sherbet you put it in your hand and and they spit on it and share spit yeah um and that slowly evolves into them like uh putting it on parts of the body and stuff and then yeah which is i mean I, i get I get the impulse to, to flag it as not as child pornography because I kind of disagree with. What I totally disagree because with it's that, also like they're not actually fucking. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, there's implied there's implied sexual stuff. Yeah, like, but later on, pornography means that they're actually having sex. Oh, I see. <laughs> like they're not actually oh, yeah, fucking. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not actually pornography. Yeah, it's there's, just it's you. It's this, those senses disagreeing with thematically. What is being proje- like, you know, the actual narrative on screen of, oh my god, that looks like a three-year-old going down on a sixteen-year-old. Well, I think they're more. It's more problematic for them because the actor is eleven. Yeah. And the Oscar is eleven. The actor and Marie, I think, twenty-four. She, she was twenty-four at the time. Yeah. So, if you take the film, if you take those sequences out of context and put it in our reality, mm-hmm. I can see why. Some, you know, Judge Joe Schmo would think, well, hang on a second, I feel pretty fucking uncomfortable watching this because it's an 11-year-old fooling around with a 24-year-old. Yeah. See, like, I, my ultimate, I have such a, like, uh, I get really annoyed by this 
the whole child pornography stuff about this because it's like, yes, I, I, I see where they're coming from in that regard of like, that's unsettling, but in no way is David Bennett actually engaging in anything sexual with this woman beyond kissing and then he licks her like belly in one scene. Uh, it's also implied that um, that he does more. I think like there's an implication. Yeah. He goes under the bed covers. Yeah, yeah, no. And there's an implication of actual sex. But it's you don't. It's not actually shown, and it's uh, like yeah, that's I know. yeah. I know, but, <laughs> but the senses are getting a flag. Yeah, the and idea of that. Yeah, the hypocrisy for me as well in this is that they will have an issue with something like that, whereas something like American Beauty is totally cool. The like you know Thora Birch who played um. Uh, the, I'm forgetting her name, but the daughter, like Kevin Spacey and Annette Benning's daughter in that film, and how like the neighbor boy's like filming her and she takes off her top. I believe she's 16 or 17 there. Yeah. Like so, that is like underage nude. Like you know, that's un- that's underage. But I mean, it's 16 and 11. Well, but, but at the same time, 16, he's not like he's I not, should I should correct myself. Yeah. Sixteen and six years old. He's he's supposed to look six six years old, whether he looks older or not. Yeah. It's up to anyone else to judge. But I think that's what the they they're getting exactly. Pissed off it, it's it's a moral flag waving kind of where we have an issue here. Like but, it's it's also like I just you know it's mainly Christian mother groups being like this ain't right, and I'm just like <laughs> fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> like, but, but as you say, like contextually, it's it's a. It's a, a young man of the age of the mental age of sixteen who has every right mm. to fool around with a woman that yeah. is sixteen physically and sixteen mentally too. So And my thing is like no one in the film is and the reality of the film is regarding him as a three year old. They keep saying that he is sixteen. Yeah. Like it's just so happened that he stopped growing at three and even, so he's in the body of a three year old. Even the Nazis are hunting him down saying that He's he, not three. He is he's, this age. He's you know sixteen or twenty one or whatever, and he needs to be effectively killed. Yeah. As a result, so everybody in the film is is saying that this is not a child. Yeah. So it, it is that thing of like either like back in the back in the time of nineteen seventy nine, I can understand it a little bit better. Like those reactionary and like not being used to. I'm pretty sure this happened in the nineties. Yeah. The, well, this, oh, so like in particular, the Oklahoma stuff was nineteen ninety seven, okay. and that and it, that is done by a fundamentalist Christian group. Where I'm just like, you didn't even watch the film. You've just watched these scenes out of context. I guarantee it. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, yeah. No, but a judge, I don't know the name of the judge, but but someone declared that it's profane and obscene and it's not protected under the... Did that judge watch the film? <laughs> well, probably, but they... Or understand they're the context. Of, they're yeah. just antsy because they're edging around... I mean, and, and, and was, it, the idea and of was it an election year? <laughs> but it had real world effects because people that rented the film um, got fucked. They got fucked. They had to go to court. They were yeah. persecuted. I think, like, I, I read that it wasn't cleared up. The court cases weren't cleared up till 2001. Yeah, it was litigation for like five, yeah, five, six years or something like that. Like, yeah. So some people, it was it was no joke. Like, they were actually like. You have child pornography because you rented this film, and you're like, it. You gave it an Oscar, though. <laughs> like what? Like what the fuck? Oscar-worthy like, child pornography. I got it from Blockbuster. <laughs> like it was on the shelf. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing. Um, it's an amazing sequence of events that happened in our world, but, mm. and but there's a there's a special feature on it, the documentary called The Band in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Yep. In- I, haven't, I haven't seen. Mm, we can chuck it on afterwards, possibly. Okay. After we're done recording, have a look-see and things. 
probably find out that we're, what we've been talking about is totally wrong. <laughs> Man. That's fine. What, yeah. any, any chance I can get to like get annoyed about fundamentalist, fundamentalist Christian groups is A-OK with me. <laughs> we're all in this together, Chris. <laughs> Suddenly I see our subscription and listener base just plummet, <laughs> because yeah. apparently that's a huge deal no, for us. Everybody can do what they want as long as it's not child pornography. Yeah. <laughs> or the tin drum, apparently. Or, or, or nationalism, <laughs> I don't like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, okay, yeah, I will say, like, I am against actual child pornography. <laughs> without saying but just give like, it a chance yeah <laughs> <laughs> but anyway like I, I I really like this film because it hits those notes of like bizarre fairy tale magical realism and wonderful ta- like it wonderfully examines a perspective on World War II that you don't often get where like it, or at least in western films I guess like most of the World War II films were exposed to like is like it's the army perspective like it, it's seldom yeah. here in the west we get it's like the sequence on the beach where the nuns are looking for shellfish mm-hmm. and you know the army the, the nazi military respond by just gunning them down with no questions asked yeah um you're getting it from the perspective of uh, all these little people having a picnic up the top so it's what was a lovely scene yeah and into super completely striking crazy. crazy unique images yeah, even to the point of, I, I was surprised. Like that, it, it, they get gunned down, and then there's that sequence where their bodies rise up into heaven. Yeah, and everyone's watching their incorporeal bodies rising up into heaven. Yeah, it's, like, it's something. It, it reminded me like that that sequence in particular, like and the lead up to it as well. I'm like, this is a bizarre cross between like say a Terry Gilliam film and a Wes Anderson film almost. Yeah, yeah. Like in terms of like the staging of the shots and then like the actual visual itself is so. It's weird and wonderful. It's ticking a lot of boxes. Thematically, there's there's so many symbols that you can kind of think on and dwell on. Mm-hmm. Um, all the set design and the costume design is fucking amazing. Um, and, and, and it's an independent film, mm-hmm. but it has the production value and... and and realism there to, to think that it was a studio movie. Yeah, and then went on to become a huge hit as well. Mm. That's well was there a point to us? We brought up the... The, the nurses thing for a reason didn't we uh i honestly can't remember <laughs> probably but it was the whole um there was you made me you, you were like let's put a button in on um oscar essentially uh deciding to grow at the end and kind of acknowledging oh, yeah. society and stuff like we that's a nice way to kind of wrap it all up i guess yeah okay so uh the film is bookended by a sequence with oscar's grandmother tending to a fire in a field um, when Oscar and Marie and her son head off down on a train to the west, I think West Germany. Her son, who is possibly Oscar's son, we don't possibly know. Oscar's son, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which leads into the wonderful thing of how Oscar came about. You don't know if he's Jan's son or if he's yeah. Alfred's son. And the, the train leaves, and it ends on some lady seen from the from the back, tending to a fire in a field, and it's like. I mean, the film spanned multiple years, effectively. It's like almost two decades. Oh, no, shit, fuck, like 40 years or something. 40, 50 years. Because it opens in 1889 or 98, something like that. Like, late 1800s. Well, I mean, yes, that's true. But I'm thinking more of Oscar's story. Oh, okay, It's kind of spanned basically the entirety of of the events leading up to World War II and just a little bit beyond. And so I'm... 
I really like the concept of you kind of start where you you end where you began. You bookend it. Nothing has progressed culturally. It seems. Yeah. I think. I think the simple plot device of Oscar not growing up and stagnating this whole time is essentially germany just stagnated themselves and they were kind of perpetually stuck in this youth mentality and now that that's all done we can grow you can grow again yeah um i mean you could argue that it's like there's a regression in culture because of a war but and i don't know but that's a fucking massive conversation <laughs> yeah <but>. yeah <laughs> um but certainly there's a stagnation and, yeah. and culture you put a pin in culture and you get a what fucking ridiculous war over and done with and then you grow culturally again mm-hmm. um, and that's essentially what this film is it's a our narrative uh, our protagonist is like uh, sees the hypocrisy of what's going on stagnates once that has seemingly ended or is coming to an end he decides alright I can now move on and that's it's like the allegory for that well the choice to not grow in, in Oscar is seeing that it seems like it's saying suggesting that he knows he's aware he sees that Everybody else, society at large, everybody in society, all the adults have decided this is going to be a time where nobody grows. And so I'm just going to wait it out. Yeah. Um, I love, I, I, I really love these films, the, these kinds of films where you get presented with all of these physical symbols mm-hmm. that are just, you can just unpack. Uh, stark contrast tr- contrast to Stray Dogs we watched last week. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Well, I wanted to do that, but I, I it just. But it wasn't. wasn't it wasn't, wasn't that, that much to, to work with. It's not that type of film. No. Whereas no, then we right. go across to Volker Schlondorf, who is like hitting it out of the park. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, this this definitely requires repeat viewing. I think this is also why I was I didn't uh, I might have been a little bit wo- lukewarm on um, his previous film, the. Um, was it the double life of Veronique? I want to say. I think we've done two previous. Can you look them up? Yeah, I'm, I'm on the Criterion website now. I'll, oh, fuck it. I'll go search by director. Scroll all the way down till I find. Schlong. Oh, the lost honor of Katharina Katharina Blum. That was it. The lost honor of Katharina Blum. Um, Blum. Okay. Great film, but I think I I want I'd be intrigued to go back and listen to that to see what my reaction was to it and if if I was a little lukewarm on it I guarantee it would be because I know this film and I know the insanity and the visual nature and the kind of otherworldliness that this one presents and I was probably expecting that from his other work and it yeah well yeah going off going off that film and into the tin drums it's quite the leap I mean it shares um Angela Winkler who's, Mm -hmm. who's a fucking she's a good actress man like she's extremely good actress but I mean, there's only four years. Oh, yeah, no, we've also done a coup de grace as well. Okay. That was his. He's got quite a few in the collection, which is nice. There's only four years between The Lost Honor of Katarina Bloom and and this, 1975, and then Tindrum, 1979, and it just... And we had coup de grace as well. Okay. We saw it a long time ago, but it just seems like this is so fully formed. Yeah. Way beyond his other films yeah very much so like that it is such a assured vision of a director like he knows exactly what he's doing with this material how he wants to present it and he nails it i think Mm. um yeah thumbs up (laughs) yeah it was it was it was fantastic uh 
Is there anything else you've got, or do I jump into trivia at this point? No, I think I think I've covered it, everything. Oh, th- there was just like a kind of this is this is trivia basically too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I kind of just because we've been watching a lot of Ozo films mm-hmm. recently, I kind of chuckled a little bit at the start of this film because it's also got that sat cloth yeah. with the credits overlaid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know whether that's got any connection, but it's clearly the same opening to a lot of Ozu films. Just a weird little aside note thing, yeah. Yeah, it's trivial, but yeah. anyway. Of where we start yeah. <laughs> and humble, where we end. Humble beginnings. Yep, yep. Yeah. Let's go into trivia. Um, so the film was nominated... Uh, yeah. So the film won the Palm Clips now. Okay. Uh, it also won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film at the 1980 film from the National Board of Review, who also named it, obviously, one of the top foreign films of the year for Best Foreign Language Film. That hadn't happened yet, so... Really, even with Lang, I guess, like around maybe the time of M starting. Oscars started like in the like wait, the twenty twenty Oscars was the ninety second or ninety third Oscars. So Fritz Fritz Lang's still, he's still making stuff in the thirties though. True, true, but like I don't, I don't even know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I mean I mean thankfully they've changed the I th- they made a right decision to just call it Best International. That's nice. Yeah. Um, I've gone into already about David Bennett, um, how the film was banned. I mean, we've gone into that enough, I think. Like, let's, we'll just kind of breeze over that. Okay. All right, everybody. Uh, this is just me jumping in here to unfortunately let you know that the, uh, the rest of that recording unfortunately fucked up. Um, it kind of chopped and changed and kind of skipped ahead every five to ten seconds, so... I'm just going to jump in here, let you know, all we really missed was us explaining the Criterion editions, um, you know, pretty standard, two disc DVD, one disc Blu-ray, up on the Criterion channel, heaps of special features, go give it a look if you're interested. Um, otherwise, the only bit of important kind of news that was cut off there was that uh, based on COVID-19 and everything that's kind of going on in the world at the moment, uh, people isolating, social distancing and the like... Uh, we're going to try and keep putting out more and more episodes. Um, this one we're putting out on Saturday night Australia time, uh, so we're hoping for the next episode on The Leopard. Hopefully we'll get that out maybe Monday, Sunday or Monday. We're going to just try and, you know, we're going to be deviating from our regular kind of scheduled episode drops, uh, but just check out the feed, uh, stay subscribed, and uh, we'll have a heap more episodes for you. Uh, stay safe out there. And uh, thankfully, the sign-offs of the episode recorded perfectly, so we're going to jump back in right now. For this week's episode, I'm Chris. And I'm Tom. See you next time.